what's playing at the Roxy. I'll tell you what's playing at the Roxy. A picture about a Minnesota man so in love with a Mississippi girl that he sacrifices everything and moves all the way to Biloxi. That's what's playing at the Roxy. What's in the Daily News? I'll tell you what's in the Daily News. A story about a guy who bought his wife a small ruby with what otherwise would have been his union dues. That's what's in the Daily News. What's happening all over? I'll tell you what's happening all over. Guys sitting home by television set who once used to be something of a rover. That's what's happening all over. Love is a thing that has linked them. And it looks like Nathan's just another victim. Yes, sir, when you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some dark. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios, this week on Broadway for Sunday, September 18th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Mestworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. And uh, no weary, no no rest for the weary, is that what they say? Is, uh, <laughs> That's what they say. Is that what they uh, say? You have another book coming out soon, next year. Right. Um, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, uh, based on the questions that I ask at the end of the show. So uh, they're going to be put in a book. And um, yeah, so uh, it's due with the publishers November 15th, and um, I'll be ready. Um, may I also say, um, if people who are listening, if you're in the New York area, you want to come see a play that I wrote called The Chill Up Your Spine. It's going to be on Thursday, the 29th of September, 7 o'clock at Theater 555, which is at 555 West 42nd Street. And it's about a young boy who wants to be a producer. And oh, does he get in trouble because he wants to be. So um, it's very nostalgic. It takes place in the 60s. And um, I, I, I think it's funny. Let's see if you do. If you're interested, you know, just email me at the usual place and um, I'll make sure that you have tickets uh, ready and waiting. And uh, of course, it's free. It's a reading. So um, who knows? <laughs> We'll no, truly no rest for the weary. <laughs> I'm not the least bit weary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. All this yeah. energy. Yeah. Uh, somebody else who has incredible amounts of energy is Michael Portantier. <laughs> Michael is yes. a theater reviewer and essayist. Mm-hmm. He's the founder and editor of KissedAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. And you can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. No rest for the weary. We are recording early because you are running out to go to rehearsal to start with, and also producing uh, Bernstein on Broadway, a celebration of 54 Below, September 27th. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Plus, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to your Guys and Dolls, which is coming up. Tell us quickly about that. Yeah, it's uh, September 22nd through the 25th at the St. George Theater, the beautiful old movie palace uh almost completely restored uh which is literally 10 minutes uh 10 minute walk from the staten island ferry uh so if you could just get yourself to to that ferry terminal it's right there uh which makes things a lot easier um and i think it's going to be a really solid production of guys and dolls and i've been telling everyone i can at least promise 
that it's going to be better than the last Broadway revival. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, so we do have the link to tickets there. But um, if you would like to come, uh, do not order them online because it's literally $10 extra per ticket with mm. fees. Mm. So call the phone number, which is in there somewhere if you can find it. But let me give it. It's 718 442 2900. 718. 718- Four four two two nine hundred. Is yes. that correct? All we right, have, I'll put that uh, in the show notes. Today I'm I'm running to our Zitz probe, uh, which oh. should be fun. Uh, I, we're having a twelve piece orchestra. Wow! And I think today we're rehearsing in a um, <laughs> in a dance studio, so it's going to be really loud. <laughs> <laughs> twelve pieces. That's more than Mamma Mia had. Exactly. On Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, I did not realize that among your many talents is the grasp of the of the German language. Oh, well, that word we all have to learn, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Word, so. oh, by the way, yeah. I, I didn't mention we were talking earlier. Um, I, I Because of all this, uh, I've been missing a lot. And one thing I missed was the unveiling of the new James Earl Jones Theater. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys... No, I wasn't there either. I saw pictures of it. I was not there. Um, But uh, apparently Mr. Jones himself did not make it to the the actual unveiling, but... There's a wonderful video, uh, which I, I've sent the link also for inclusion in the show notes of him visiting the theater about, about a week a week before. And uh, it, it's really a beautiful little video. So have a look at that. He he looks and sounds terrific in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tells a little anecdote of about his first because he spoke his first line on Broadway in that theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an amazing event, and uh, I'm so so glad that they chose him for this honor. Oh, that's really wonderful. So um, I, you know, also moments in history have just been happening mm. up up and down with, with this huge news that Phantom is closing. Yes, I mean, uh, is the Majestic Theater ready for a naming? Oh, that'd really be great. Um, it should have happened the day they had the Harold Prince tribute. Um, it should have been the mm. Harold Prince Theater right then and there. Um, I'll tell you this, though. I imagine we're not going to see another booking at the Majestic for some time. Um, not because it's uh, an undesirable theater. Lord knows yeah, clean it. The most, yeah, really. <laughs> After 35 years, they have to do a lot of work in that theater. A lot of work. Oh, that's a and good point. So it's going to be a while before you see a show there again. I mean, all these people who have been saying, wow, you know, I'm finally going to get to see a show in the Majestic. Not quite yet. Of course you will, <laughs> but not quite yet. So I don't know. Um, you know, Peter, I, I, I find their logic wanting because uh, we did have Broadway closed for such a long period of time. They couldn't have cleaned it then. <laughs> well, it's more than just cleaning. No, I, I mean, just, yeah. They're yeah, they're really, renovating the whole um, thing. Yeah, it, it really needs um, a lot of work. I know people who have been in Phantom, and, and they tell me a lot of things about electrical cables and, you know, things like There's that. There's some guy so, living down underneath the stage. <laughs> <laughs> or up in the, the stage too, yeah. Up in the wings, yeah. Up right, in the flies. Yeah, right, yeah. So, Did I not um, instruct that box five was to have mints? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too is, you know, they say February eighteenth, but 
you know, when My Fair Lady announced yeah. its closing, it ran an extra month or two. Chorus Line didn't close when it originally said it was going to. Cats so. didn't close when they said it was going to close. That's right, too. Yeah. yeah. So this this February 18th may not be as uh, solid as everybody thinks um, because uh, they may feel, oh, this will boost business. People want to get to it for one last time or the first time. So, um, so I wouldn't really think that uh, February 18th is carved in stone. So, but we shall see what we shall see. Well, I said I, I I've never really been a phantom fan, but but I think that the closing is sad um, and bittersweet, I suppose you would say, on at least one level. And that is, in a way, if you could look at this as the last direct link to Harold Prince. That's right. Yeah, because he wow. directed this yeah, actual production right. yeah. <laughs> and it's still running. And then after this closes, there will obviously be no no more shows running on broadway well so uh so much talk about that phantom might close and reopen somewhere else yes that sure. has been said sure that has been said absolutely true um the other factor um in involving uh the harold prince thing is that in his book contradictions in 1974 or so um he talked about producing fiddler and he said i don't think any show's going to run longer than fiddler and little did he know he'd direct a show that would indeed <laughs> run four times as long as Fiddler. <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of interesting as well. But um, yeah, Michael, that is, that's true, isn't it? I mean, he, I did a thing once about how, what percentage of time his name has been in playbills. Yeah. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's something astonishing. I mean, it, starting in the early fifties, cause he was a stage manager. So he had his name in the playbill, but I mean, there were very few months, <laughs> months. I mean, yeah, he had a terrible eighties um, until Phantom, but um, the thing was that uh, very few years did he not have his name in a playbill, even if he didn't produce the show or direct it. For example, Zorba, when it was revived in 83, said originally produced by Harold Prince. Mm. So there was, his name in the playbill it's really something so um yes uh we do need a theater name for harold prince the sooner the better michael you said you weren't a phantom fan but you meant uh a phantom fan with a ph <laughs> what is the other uh, I, i'm missing i'm sorry i'm not getting it p-h-a-n-t-o-m p-h-a-n phantom fan fan oh right. okay yeah. <laughs> so so uh yeah, you guys have uh, been backstage at the uh, majestic right you know yes the, i have yeah and the entrance to the backstage of the majestic is on 45th street yeah right and looks out over a beautiful parking lot doesn't it or does yes. it yeah yeah <laughs> used to it but once upon a time there was a theater there called the avon um, and that got torn down in the fifties and it's too bad. It wasn't a big theater. I think it only had about fewer than a thousand seats, but it, it certainly shows would have gone there if it, it continued to be there. So it's sad that I never saw the Avon theater. Uh, it was before my theater going time, but, um, and that was replaced by the parking lot, just like you always hear about in Follies, you know, that the Weissman theater is going to give way to a parking lot. So, so, so Peter, well, the big question for the two of you, uh, uh, is, um, will Chicago run long enough to displace Phantom uh, 10 years after the fact? Um, I, my money is on the Lion King. I think uh-huh. that's the one that's going to last longest. Um, and uh, of course, it'll be a while before that happens. Um, but but nevertheless, I might not even look to see it. But I, I do believe that um, the Lion King has the best um, chance of um, doing that. Yes, Chicago is a, um, a, an inexpensive property to run compared to the Lion King, but um, 
but that's my guess. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I was, I, I mean, of course, I don't know. I was trying to think, but I, I, I think it, that one of them might do it. Yeah. One of the two might do it. Yeah, I just, I just heard rumors, uh, you know, the last couple of years that Chicago's on its last legs, but it keeps on coming back. Yeah, it does. It, it does, keeps on yeah. keeps on uh, coming back like uh, Glenn Close at the end of Fatal Attraction. So um, <laughs> again, Glenn Close taking her curtain calls in Sunset Boulevard. She kept coming back and back and back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but the reason. The uh, the reason that James brought up the the parking lot was that yes um, right <laughs> uh, yes they they have uh, for what it's worth they have finally begun construction on whatever it is that they're now going to build in that huge vacant space at forty uh, fifth and eighth which was supposed to start how long ago was it fifteen twenty years ago well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was that long and you know I, I we don't want to really get into it I'm sure but it's uh, all of those businesses were thrown out, including two very popular restaurants, yeah. Sam's and Barry Moore's. Sure. Uh, and then uh, Frankie and Johnny managed to hold on there for a little bit longer and then they had to move. Yeah. And all of those, both of those restaurants uh, could have been going all of these years. And, mm -hmm. and it just seems so short-sighted for the Schubert's to have thrown them out. I, I, I do not understand why they didn't just put them on month to month leases. Yeah. You know, uh, sure. I, I don't I don't get it. Um, yeah. uh, and I think it's a terrible shame. But anyway, they've now begun construction to uh, whatever it is that they are building now. It is not going to include a theater, which was the original plan. It was going to include an, a new Broadway theater. And that is not going to happen. I'm sure somebody has said, look, there are so many empty Broadway theaters now. Uh, why oh, yeah. And I'm sure that was um, at, at least the official excuse uh, for not having another one. Yeah. But in real estate, there's a term called highest and best use, which and it really stands for how much what's the most amount of money you can make in in a mm -hmm. in a square foot mm -hmm. uh and that usually around there is hotel so i don't know what's going in there but i would bet that it's going to be some sort of hotel i think uh, that was the plan yeah um and then uh we have any thoughts about any new things uh, you're walking through times square anything new on the uh the hotel slash uh, theater that's happening over um, where the palace was. Uh, it looks the same to me. Yeah, it looks the same <laughs> to me too. Yeah. Well, we have now heard that. Uh, I guess it was a, a week or so ago, or, or maybe that, uh, or a little bit longer, that the theater was finally yeah, moved yeah. moved into its. Yeah. You know, to its last uh, final resting place, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, so. and so now it's just a question of uh, restoration because uh, they saved obviously they saved the restoration yeah. till they moved it. Yeah, sure. they're hoping for a booking next summer, uh, as I understand it. But of mm -hmm. course, construction always takes longer than they claim. So uh, who knows? New York City construction always behind schedule and over budget. Yeah, sure. Uh, Bye. You know, I was thinking Judy Garland, of course, famously yeah. played at the palace mm -hmm. among many other people. But it, if her ghost, um, you know, comes back, I hope it's not confused and doesn't, <laughs> end, doesn't end up like performing in some Sephora or some place on, you know, uh, on whatever that's going to be on the street level now. If they can rent it. <laughs> Roel, yeah. If my ghost comes back to perform on Broadway, I hope it's in the M&M store. <laughs> so, yeah. or or uh or crispy crispy cream. cream oh michael you know me so well you complete me you complete me 
<laughs> oh, look, the red sign's on. James must be performing. Uh, <laughs> it says, always fresh, always hot. Hot donuts. Get hot donuts? What does it say? I always forget. So, um, you were, uh, Peter, you were just saying, talking about, uh, and actually Michael was just talking about the last current connection to Al Prince on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just uh, heard that Josh Groban's coming back in a Sweeney Todd with Annalie Ashford. Uh, and uh, I've been seeing so much, you know, disdain or hate for Josh Groban. I was like, yeah. I love Josh Groban in Comet, and I love Josh Groban yes. in whatever I have seen him in in concert and things like that. And I think it's going to be inspired and brilliant. And what do you guys think? I mean, you don't have Truth to agree. Truth to tell, um, I have my doubts about Annalie Ashford, and not because of talent or ability or anything like that. And I'm going to take us back to the 90s at the Paper Mill Playhouse when Judy Kay played Mrs. Lovett. Mm. She was terrific. Mm. Don't misunderstand me. She was great. However, she seemed much too young. And uh. as a result, she Mrs. Lovett has to be of a certain age because you have to get the impression that this is her last chance to have a man. And Judy Kay was attractive and uh, young, and you really didn't think that she'd be that desperate. You need that, this is my last chance at love thing. And so Anna Lee Ashford isn't going to be able to provide that either. So um, who knows? Maybe she can age in her acting, and that's great, and I hope she does. But frankly, um, if if uh, <laughs> if uh, they did a little more uh, research on what this part should be, they may have cast someone else. Anyway, good luck to her. I'm delighted. I mean, she's a terrific performer. Just, but as we all know, not every performer is ever right for every role. So, um, so I have my doubts about that. I understand your trepidation, but I I suspect she can act act the age. Uh, it but reminds Judy me Kay could act the age too, but she just didn't seem that old. I I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reminds me of that famous story uh, that we've told that uh, Frank Fravor Verlizzo uh, fam- yeah. f- famously did the uh, the artwork for the original right. Sweeney Todd, right. and he uh, um and it was based on. Uh, I guess a, a, the Sweeney image was based on an original drawing, but he created the Mrs. Lovett image from whole cloth, but based on on that same style. Right. But he drew her as as very stout mm-hmm. because uh, I I think that maybe there's a description of that in the original stories or whatever. And so Angela Lansbury saw. <laughs> the drawing and she wasn't very happy and she asked um if it could be you know if if the figure could be made to look a little thinner and frank said well um he said well i i you know i could but it's it, that's not what it, it's what's in the script and she said i'll play it fat <laughs> <laughs> Back in 1964, Carol Hirschfeld did the logo for Fade Out, Fade In, and Carol Burnett um, wasn't happy with the drawing, and he had to redo it. Uh, So there are two different drawings of Carol Burnett and Fade Out, Fade In. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very, very different. Very different. Wow. And that's why I guess he wasn't he he held a grudge because years later. he made some comment about how he couldn't draw her anymore because she had had so much plastic surgery. Ah, I didn't know that. (laughs) Or something. It was very difficult to draw Uh her because of Uh that reason. Yeah. 
So uh, I assume that after Josh Groban has decided to leave Sweeney Todd, they'll just close shop, right? Because that's the new trend? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we're talking about The Music Man has set a closing date sure. of uh, January 1st, uh, 2023, when Hugh's contract expires. Uh, and I guess that they've just, you know, uh, it's really gross and two to three million, sometimes even four million a week, and they they just can't replace it with anybody else. <laughs> nobody, nobody else could possibly pull in those numbers. So, for, uh, for what it's worth, I believe that uh, that he has already had a, an extension. I, I think I heard that he was originally contracted only through what would have been this this summer yeah no no yeah yeah Yeah. i I agree i heard november and uh here we are in january so no he's given his all to this one absolutely um, i'm I'm not faulting hugh jackman at all i know you're not but nevertheless he's given his all to this and uh lord knows there are people in his position who wouldn't deign to do broadway so um god love him for coming and doing it when he could have made millions more um doing movies and i suspect yeah I, i i don't know but i suspect that maybe he wouldn't have extended if COVID hadn't happened. Sure. Yeah, he's, yeah, sure, you know, sure. he's such a nice guy yes, he uh, is. that he realized, well, you know, so really I bravo to him on every level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I agree. Yeah. So, but you know, I, and we, uh, as uh, you talked with Matt Temanini last week, thank you, Matt, for hosting duties last mm-hmm. week. Uh, while I was out, um, you talked about Back to the Future, and uh, it seems like the future of the Winter Garden Theater is Back to the Future. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, so. so I guess that sort of closes that door on on Music Man, but that's uh, yeah. unfortunate and sad, and it brings up uh, one of the topics here uh, is that. Uh, so many people complaining that they're finding out that their show is closing through social media or online hmm. or rumors and things like that, whether it be Phantom of the Opera or Music Man or any of the other things that have happened recently or yeah. so. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I understand on one side that you know you feel slighted. On the other side, it's like it's a very there's a lot of people that need to be involved in the information of a closing of a show and mm. Uh, mm. as they used to say loose leaks loose lips sink <laughs> ships right so uh this is what this is what happens and uh far you know far many more people who work in various uh various industries find out on the news that their job has been lost so mm. it's yeah. just it's just a sign yeah. of the times more these more. days that's true. Yeah, yes. I mean, whether it's a downsizing at Ford or that your company has been acquired or some mm. a company has gone out of business and you find out on the news that mm. Mm. Uh, you have lost your job, it's Absolutely just a true. sign of the times here. Sure is. Right. So, uh, it's uh, kind of crazy. But So, Peter, you made your way up to Upper Nyack to see the importance of being in earnest at the Phoenix Theater Company. So, tell us about this. Well, yeah, I hadn't seen the importance of being earnest for a month, so I had withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> uh, faithful listeners will recall that I saw it at Niagara on the Lake um, in uh, late August. But uh, no, I wanted to get up there because Craig Smith is such a phenomenal guy. Uh, he was with the John Cocteau Repertory Company for like 40 years, around that time, and made his mark many, many times there. And um 
But then uh, there was a, um, a schism and a dispute and uh, the company disbanded, which was really too bad. So uh, he's relocated in Upper Nyack, New York, uh, which is 35 miles away. And what he's doing is doing a series of shows this summer for um, his new company, uh, the Phoenix Theater. Um, this is the Phoenix Festival because he's doing a lot of shows um, outdoors. I got a nice tan yesterday sitting out there. Um, beautiful, beautiful ambiance. I mean, right next to it is Mount Hood and, you know, the skies are not cloudy all day. And it was really, really <laughs> something um, to sit out there. And every seat but one was taken. So, I mean, there really was a great interest in this. And this was the very first performance of the importance of being earnest. And yes, every now and then a line was flubbed, but let us look at the glass as 99% full rather than 1% empty, because this was really a very, very fine production. I will grant you that the um, women playing uh, Gwendolyn and Cecily uh, didn't convince me that they were uh, teenagers, but nevertheless, everything else was in place, and I was really very pleased with it. What pleased me the most was the fact that you have to understand this is my 18th production of The Importance of Being Earnest. It's uh, Needless to say, it's a play I love. So I have never in all those 18 productions heard an audience so appreciative of the humor you could tell some people were discovering it for the first time and some people were uh, enjoying hearing it again, but the laughs were so plentiful, mm. so plentiful. Uh, it, it, it astonished me uh, and really, really quite, quite, quite fine um, in so many ways. Who I really admired in this production, who I thought was just so solid, um, just a terrific um, performance um, as John Worthing, uh, who's, Ernest in Town and Jack in the Country, uh, was Wesley Spencer is his name. A terrific, solid, grounded performance. Got the comedy done so well. Josh Tyson as Algernon uh, was certainly his equal, so he was really quite good too. But the whole cast really was uh, worthwhile. Um, and I really enjoyed um, especially uh, Jessica Crandall as... Um, Miss Prism. Um, it's a funny name. I love, it's, it's a word that rhymes with nothing. So um, when uh, Anne Croswell did the musical version, Ernest in Love, she certainly didn't rhyme anything with Prism. Um, <laughs> so uh, Leo Lyon is the director, and he is also somebody who spent a good deal of time in Russia as a kid. And as a result, he did a new translation of Chekhov's The Harmfulness of Tobacco. And that is being done, too, in, uh, in repertory. So um, you're going to be able to see that, as well as a new production of The Skin of Our Teeth. So, and Love Labor's Lost. They're doing all these in rep. This is from now through October 16th. And um, it's a very pleasant drive to get up there. Um, and more to the fact, though, was sitting out in a matinee because they don't do evening performances. They're all matinees, two o'clock in the afternoon. And it really is such a wonderful option. The town, which is about five minutes away drive, um, the actual town, Main Street and all that, plenty of restaurants, um, the most chaotic used bookstore I've ever been in. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find a damn thing uh, because books were piled here, there and everywhere. And it's too bad. I wish that they'd get it. Um, but next time I go, 
uh, which uh, next year, I guess, um, I hope that that bookstore gets back in uh, in order because, boy, I can tell they have a lot of good stuff there. But searching through the piles of stuff was just impossible. So it's a lovely town. It's a lovely uh, experience up there. But the, the play's the thing, of course, and the production's the thing. And Craig Smith um, is really doing something wonderful up there. I was so glad to see it so well attended that was just thrilling um you know how many times have we had the experience when it's been like 10 minutes till showtime and the theater's empty it seems you know and we say wow nobody's here tonight and then by the time the show starts the place is full that type of thing this this, this place was full about 20 minutes before the show people couldn't wait to get there it was so exciting to see this. Um, and now, of course, there, theater going had a tradition up there in Nyack because, of course, there was the Tappan Zee Playhouse and there was the Helen Hayes Theater in various uh, forms. And uh, those don't exist anymore. And so it's really good that Craig Smith is uh, filling that void and filling it superbly. So I really do believe that we're going to uh, see this company around for a long time, uh, perhaps as long as the John Cocteau repertory was around. and. And I really wish them well, and I hope that they find an indoor space so they won't just be relegated to uh, the summer um, and even the fall. Here we are, we're in the fall, um, and um, they're going to run till October 16th. So bring your Mackinaws when you go up there, because who knows how chilly it'll be. But this is a, this is a company with a future, and I know Craig Smith is going to make it happen. All right. So that's uh, Get Up to Upper Nyack. It's beautiful this time. It's a beautiful any time of year, especially beautiful. Did the leaves start changing yet, Peter, or is it still too early? I'm sorry. I didn't hear the question. Did the, did the leaves start changing or is it too early? Too early. Yeah. Too all early. Green. Yeah. All so, green. so, and uh, I get up there uh, a, a few times. I try to get up there in the fall a few times, especially all the different places. All the apple groves up there make uh, ap- apple pies. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Apple Didn't pies. So uh, get up there for leave changing, see good theater, get some apple pie. Mm-hmm. Any ice cream up there? There's lots of ice oh, cream. Oh, yeah. Well, there were plenty of ice cream stores. Yeah. It, it was really hard for me to resist. <laughs> uh, did you go rollicking through the fields of Ambrosia to get to some ice cream stores down at the Fairflight Theater? You know, um, when I went to uh, Surflight, which is does have an ice cream uh, parlor mm-hmm. right next door to it, uh, it was yes. closed, and that's all for the best for me. Believe me, that it was <laughs> closed. But anyway, uh, the Fields of Ambrosia is a musical I first saw at the George Street Playhouse in 1993, and um, there I was sitting there watching it. And I'm telling you, people often use the expression "I jumped out of my seat," and they mean enthusiasm. That's all they mean. They don't mean anything more than enthusiasm. They didn't jump out of their seat. I did with Fields of Ambrosia back in 1993. Why? Because it goes in a direction you don't expect it to. All right, here we go. It's based on a 1970 film called The Traveling Executioner. And the musical, too, uh, follows it very closely. A gentleman named Jonas Candide drives through southern states with an electric chair. Okay. Um, Now, this is a big deal in 1918. Jonas visits prisons and for ready money will save the state the trouble and higher expense of putting to death any condemned criminal. All right. Now, granted, this sounds grisly. uh, No question about it. But what saved the situation was Jonas's very different worldview. Now, any condemned man 
would assume that his executioner would be the most severe person he'd yet meet in the entire judicial system. You know, you expect frowns and glares and, um, you know, you, you, you're vermin, you're being put to death, that type of thing. Not at all. Jonas is loving and tells the victim that one of the men he electrocuted returned to him through a medium and said that the afterlife was the fields of ambrosia. And it's great there. I mean, there's as much liquor as you want to drink. There are women who can't wait to do it with you. It's just a great place. And the condemned man believes him because what other hope does he have? And I'm telling you, in 1993, when Joel Higgins played the part, uh, and he wrote the book and lyrics as well, and they're very good lyrics, by the way. But anyway, I'm, much of it is through sung in the you know, much like Les Mis, that type of thing. But anyway, um, when he went over to that guy and he put his arms around his neck and said, listen, it's going to be all right. You know, you're really in for a real treat. I mean, that's when I jumped out of my seat. I didn't see that coming. What a great thing, you know, to have a man give people hope. What does it cost to give people hope? What's the, why not? You know, and, and the, suddenly the guy can't wait to go to the fields of ambrosia. He may not 100% believe it. I'll grant you that. But what other hope does he have? So this is somebody who interests me tremendously. Okay. So now Jonas is assigned to electrocute Gretchen, a fetching young woman, originally played by Christine Andreas. And Joel Higgins and Christine met in the revival of Oklahoma in 1979, and they remained friends. And so she played the part originally and, um, and was quite good in it. Uh, the composer, by the way, Marty Silvestri, phenomenal music. The title song is Majestic Beyond Belief. When he sings about You'll Go to the Field of Ambrosia, terrific song, but that's not the only great song in the show. Uh, they have a, 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 a beautiful waltz called Too Bad, where they talk about the fact that it's too bad that she's going to be executed. Um, a wonderful song called Vieux Carre, where uh, he says to her, if, if you could get out of this situation, where would you like to go? And she says, New Orleans, and they talk about the Vieux Carre and what it would be like to go there together, and wouldn't it be wonderful? Um, uh, a, a, a real uh, foot stomper in a song called Nothing. Um, it, the score is really, really, really good. And I will admit that a lot of people uh, would be turned off by the fact that it is about a guy who travels with an electric chair. So anyway, um, George Street Playhouse in early 1993. Then about a year later, it went to London, where it got poisonous reviews. And what I heard was, I'm not saying this is true, but what I heard was that the British have this real aversion to capital punishment. They don't want to hear about it at all. And that was the real issue. So I went to the opening night and... Um, and then the next day when the Poisonous Reviews came out, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Come see the show. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. I mean, that never works, mm. and it didn't work in this case either. But anyway, I went again later in the week, and it was really sad because the reviews had been so bad. So now the audience was either resisting it or laughing at it, I'm sorry no. to say. So, um, so it was really painful to see it under those circumstances after seeing a very enthusiastic audience on opening night, uh, though admittedly a lot of Americans were there. I mean, George Street really, really had a lot of people of attendance there. A lot of people came over. A lot of people had invested. Uh, it was really something. Steve Steiner, 
was a member of the original cast and he's always had an affinity for the show. And now that he's the artistic director of Surf Light Theater, he thought he'd give it a second chance or a third chance, depending on how you look at it. I find it very ironic that there have been three productions of the show and I've been to all of them, but um, <laughs> people who know me are not that surprised by that type of statistic. But anyway, um, very, very, very good production. Elizabeth Lucas, who was on the ground floor of the Nymph Festival many, many moons ago, did a very good job in directing. But, 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 but I am telling you, the guy who has succeeded Joel Higgins in the role of Jonas Candide, whoa, his name is Dan Beckman. He's rarely off stage, rarely, and he is sensational at being both loving and cocksure at times. Yes, indeed. He's a rounded character. Uh, so he's really, really quite wonderful. Also, um, quite wonderful is the uh, woman playing Gretchen, uh, which is not an easy role because some of the notes are hard to hit. But Sophia Swanell um, is the person playing that role. I don't know who she is, but um, I hope to see her and Mr. Beckman many times more. There are some missteps in the show. I'm going to be frank about that. One of them is that after uh, Jonas does the Field of Ambrosia number, it's not long before he sings a song called Step Right Up, in which he explains to people what he does. It's a wonderful song melodically, and the lyrics are fine too, but it's not a song we need to hear, because indeed, we already know what um, his philosophy is. We don't have to have him explain it to us later. There's also a supporting role. Uh, There's a young man who becomes uh, the assistant of... um, of Jonas. And um, it's, well, um, I'm telling you, it's, um, it's a very sad situation. It's, there is nothing involved here that really indicates for a 10th of a second that he should be in the show and have a number um, after something truly, truly, truly terrible happens to him. Truly terrible. And you know, it's too bad because the song itself is terrific. And Jared Ganish got the biggest hand of the night after doing it. It is a terrific song, but it's irrelevant to the show. And um, I think it's very injurious to the show because I don't want to be specific about what happened to him that made him sing this song, but it's a very unpleasant situation. And um, in a show that deals with electrocution, you're really uh, pushing the envelope to begin with. So to have this song, uh, which deals with a, well, obviously not as an unpleasant situation as being put to death in an electric chair, but um, but still a very unpleasant situation. And I would have liked to have seen that um, taken away. But anyway, um, you can't argue with success. And whoa, um, did this guy get a big hand after it happened? But um, anyway, so I'm not saying it's a great musical, but I think it's a very good musical. And I would say by far, by far, that its ambition is so great and its taking chances are so, so profound that it is a a show that is worth seeing. It's running till the 25th. And um, you go down the New Jersey Turnpike to <laughs> exit one twenty, uh, exit eleven. Uh, you go down uh, the Garden State Parkway to uh, exit sixty three. You take a left. You go as far as you can. You take a right, and um, it does take a while to get there. I'm not going to minimize that, but nevertheless, 
Um, once you're there, you will see a musical unlike any that you ever have ever seen before. I will be very surprised if you're not taken with the music and the lyrics. And uh, if indeed you don't respond to the entire show, I won't be 100% surprised. But I do think that um, if you're a musical theater aficionado, this is one that you really have to see. This is one you have to collect. So um, I hope it's not the last time we see Fields of Ambrosia. And I, I wish that they do a little work on it to make it really, really, really good. Sounds like maybe this show should be done in rep with Hangman. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> good point. Uh, so um, anyway, that's the uh, take on that. I think you were just about to mention, but never actually did that. Uh, Martin Silvestri is the husband of Christine Andreas. Yeah, that's where they um, uh, met and um, true love blossomed. Yeah. I, and I've spoken with Christine about the show um, and she, needless to say, they were very, very upset by the London reception. Uh, so I think they still, you know, they're happy that the show is still has a life and is still being produced. Well, you know, the other thing too, um, I, after the reviews came out, as I say, I went back and I went uh, to visit Christine in the dressing room and the opening night flowers were still there mm. and it smelled like a funeral parlor mm. to me. You know, Pets. it was, it's so bizarre. I mean, I, I imagine that if uh, the reviews were terrific that I wouldn't have had that thought, but somehow it smelled, smelled funereal. That was exactly what Betsy Jocelyn said to me when I went backstage after a doll's life really the the I'll night after yeah wow. i went to see the show with a friend we both knew betsy from staten island uh-huh. it was like the night or two after the reviews came out i think this wow. the first performance after wow. he insisted on going back i said no let's not go back the reviews were terrible she's not uh, gonna he insisted on it and she's like yeah it's like a funeral parlor in here <laughs> mm-hmm. directed by hal prince mm-hmm. yeah yep, thank yep, you that thank you you're yeah. in the 80s when things were tough yeah Yep. <laughs> so, uh, Fields of Ambrosia at Surflight Theater, um, directed by Elizabeth Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And Elizabeth also directed Surflight's production of Chess, which got very good reviews earlier this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hear lots of rumors about Chess uh, oh, being, banted, ban- being banted about, but serious rumors. I mean, um, mm. I think that we're going to see Chess in the next year or so. I'd Back love on that. Broadway. Back on Broadway. But, you know, what? we'll have to see what's going to happen. What book? Is somebody going to go back and work on it? This uh, one that was just down at Surflight, Elizabeth rewrote some of the book with permission. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll have to see, you know, which, <laughs> are they going to bring in Aaron Sorkin to rewrite mm-hmm. chess? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Michael, Michael would love me. that. When they... Uh, <laughs> When they did it at the Kennedy Center a few years mm-hmm. ago, I thought that one might come in. Oh, that's right. We did. Yeah. Uh, I did yeah. think uh, listener Deb Schrager told us about that one, that she had seen that as well and really hi- highly regarded it. So uh, yeah. there's always talks about chess. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up with the two of you, and I forgot before when we were talking about current events, our current events section of the show, mm-hmm. was that uh, Adam Gettle's... Um, production of uh, floyd collins was canceled was canceled it was supposed to be done at out of the box theatrics it was canceled because uh right they're gonna revise uh, it revise it uh you know adam gettle is gonna revise it and tina landau and tina landau yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so i'm dying to see a first class production of 
of uh, Floyd Collins again. Uh, so I was really disappointed that out of the box theatrics got canceled, but excited. And I hope that they really get this underway and do it and not just cancel this and never really revise yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know. I did not think of that show as one that needs revisal. I know. Uh, yeah. You know, it's been done so much here. Yeah. I, mean, I yeah. Signature. I mean, you know, um, but, um, you know, as uh, Buddy Fiddler says in um, City of Angels, um, <laughs> nothing so good that it can't be improved. It's a better line than that. I can't quote it. But anyway, right. um, it is true that um, that they could uh, go back and think of something we haven't thought of and saying, oh, whoa, 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 they were right. So, uh, but um, yeah, it is too bad. Damn it, City of Angels, where are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dying to I'll see say. the City of Angels. Dream oh, on, yeah. dream on. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Hugh Jackman and Josh Groban. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would sell tickets, wouldn't it? <laughs> so uh, in our chat room, Tony Janicki mentioned that um, he had, uh, let's see, Despite its incredible weekly grosses, Kate Horton stated last week that the Music Man has not re- yet recouped its capitalization. <laughs> However, she also said that she expects that it will recoup before the closing. So that must be an enormous Hugh Jackman salary. Wow. Enormous, because they are, they're grossing 2 to $3 million a week. So wow. we're talking over the course of 50 weeks, over $100 million uh, for it not to... Not to recoup means that they have super high running costs. So, uh, and others have pointed out that this follows the Scott Rudin blueprint. Uh, because if you recall, with To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, not To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, Hello Dolly, yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, despite that through the roof box office, I think initially it was five percent that was returned mm, to the mm. investors and then they and then they objected and then there were apparently more was returned sort of after the fact and under the table or whatever. Yeah. Um, so so even though, you know, I mean he's not he's, you know, ha 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 no longer involved in uh, yeah, right. the music yeah. man. Uh you know, it's interesting to it would be interesting to see exactly how all the books um you know what they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, uh, Forrest Gump, the movie, uh, they say never made a profit. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Creative accounting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. The Hollywood uh, mm. accounting scheme. Uh, mm. Tony Janicki is adding, he's listening live, uh, which you can do if you go to patreon.com slash broader radio, become a Patreon member. You can listen live with us on Sunday morning. But Tony just wrote that she blamed the COVID canceled performances that have prevented the show from recouping so far. I'm going to go bullshit on that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, yeah. let's, uh, let's pull up. Uh, did the music man receive millions and millions of dollars in COVID funds? You know, I don't know that, but that's a question I would ask if she's going to blame COVID on that. Sure. But, <laughs> and I mean, if you run something that has made $100 million and hasn't turned a profit, I think you're a bad producer. Mm, I agree. That's just me. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah. So Absolutely. shut the fuck up, you know, <laughs> Kate Horton. You don't yeah, sign my she, checks. Yeah, but she <laughs> might be, I mean, uh, she might be more of a spokesperson than anything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, spokespeople yeah. can shut up. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. spokespeople get paid too. Mm-hmm. So the True. third thing that you saw, Peter, is that you got over to the theater for the new city and saw one with the current. So tell us about this. 
Well, uh, this is a one-person show, and I dare say it is one of the best one-person shows I have seen wow. in a long, long, long time. Okay. Now, it's written and performed by Daniel Damiano, and uh, he plays a Southerner who um, certainly has Southern values, if you will, um, conservative values. Uh, he's very much uh, in that mode. But the wonderful thing about the writing is that you really see that this is a good man. He's just been wrongly influenced, but that doesn't make him inherently bad. While I rarely agree with his reasoning for the bulk of the play, I mean, because he's very conservative and comes up with a lot of opinions that um, do not share my worldview, I do see where he's coming from because Daniel Damiano has been very fair to him. He doesn't make him a yeehaw redneck. Uh, no Yahoo here. A lesser writer would have done that, but he avoided that. He really created a man and not a caricature. And what's really skillful, too, is he's brought in, um, he talks about his family, and he has a daughter who is at a college in Massachusetts, perhaps a seven-sisters school, and she becomes increasingly liberal. And, of course, that divides them. And yet, and yet you can see that he still loves her. Now, this is very skillful writing. And very skillful performing, where he shows us through his attitude that he really does still love her, even though they haven't by any means agreed in a long, long time. But he also has a son, and the son sides with him. And I thought that was a very good orchestration there of uh, having one kid uh, pro and one kid con. Uh, very smart, very smart doing it. So, uh, and it does deal with a guy who decides to join the January 6th insurrection. Okay. Now, he's going to pay a price for that. And ironically enough, the price he pays gives him enough time to really think of what he did and what he should have done instead. And, all right, I'm, I'll, I'll say it. I mean, he's in prison. And the irony is, now that he has the time to be alone without any outside influences, we get the impression this is the first time he really gets the chance to think for himself. Mm. And he comes to conclusions he wouldn't have reached had he been in the hustle and bustle of the outside world and meeting friends who influence him or come up with uh, the same type of feelings that he once had. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, the word penitentiary does come from the word penitent. Mm. And that's what this guy is. Who knew that prison could improve people? This one certainly did. Now, I'll grant you, that may sound simplistic, because I'm sure prison is no joke. And it's, um, is, it's a place where you could not be improved, too. But the fact that he has so much time alone, and he really gets to be himself, mm. and he finds who himself is is astonishing, beautifully, beautifully performed. And of course, you know, so many times people say, you know, an author shouldn't do his own show. He shouldn't direct it. He shouldn't do this, that, and that. But he knows what he wrote. He knows what he meant. And who would know better than the person who wrote it exactly what he means? 
and every nuance is mm-hmm. there. You really have such a rounded character. Now, I'm sorry to say that by the time we go live here, I'm sorry, by the time we get um, on <laughs> the actual air, so to speak, this will have closed, but it's coming back. He doesn't have a booking uh, place yet, but he is bringing it back. And please, when he comes back, when he comes back, by all means, make sure, make sure that you get to see one with the current. Um, you will not be disappointed. So this is uh, down at Theater for the New City as part of the Dream Up Festival, uh, mm-hmm. which has happened a number of years, mm-hmm. uh, down at Theater for the New City's um, uh, space. And uh, there are so many other things happening down there. Oh, yeah. I have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, a friend of ours, uh, Duncan Flaster, wrote Nothing But Thunder also down at the festival. We haven't reviewed it, but I thought I'd mention it because Duncan's been a supporter of Broadway Radio and thank him for that. So uh, that wraps it up for our reviews and our discussion. So <laughs> let's get on to... Before we get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to this broadcast by going to the front page of BroadwayVideo.com. There's a subscribe link there. Without Each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, we automatically download it to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. Uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast, you can listen to Broadway Radio's offerings. You can also get uh, our podcast emailed to you directly by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash Broadway Radio or broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. That way you can support the broadcast and also get every episode sent to you directly before anybody else gets to listen to it. Contact information for Peter from Michael and me can be found in the show notes at Broadway Radio, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? In her first starring role in a hit musical, she said the expression, go to hell. More than 20 years later, in her last starring role in a hit musical, one that ran virtually as long, she angrily sang Go to Hell, along with her famous co-star. The irony is that in one of her most famous roles, she would have never said Go to Hell. Who is she? What were the musicals? What were the circumstances that caused her to use the expression? Well, Mary Martin's first starring role was in the 1943 567th performance One Touch of Venus where she played Venus, a statue that came to life. Soon she's in front of a psychiatrist who asks her how old she is. She replies that only Homer and Virgil can say for sure. When he asks where he can find them, she matter-of-factly says, go to hell, because that's where (laughs) they're living now. So Venus isn't using an epithet. She's simply giving a direction. (laughs) All right. Martin's last starring role in the musical was in the 1966 560 performance, I Do, I Do, where she played the wife to husband played by Robert Preston. The last line of their fight song, The Honeymoon is Over, has both of them proclaiming, go to hell. Needless to say, it's not an expression that Martin would have said either as postulant Maria or even Maria von Trapp in The Sound of Music. Well, Maybe after living with those seven kids for a while, she might say it to one or two of them, but we shall <laughs> Tony Janicki retained his first place crown, followed by Juliette Green, Michael Portantier, Paul Witte, Isaac Blevins, J. Aubrey Jones, Brigadude, Steve Bell, Jack Leshner. It's his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Jack. Happy birthday, Deb, Jack. Indeed. Deb Popple and Greg Christensen. Truth to tell. Many of the above cited My Heart Belongs to Daddy that Martin <laughs> sang and Leave It to Me. Yes, 
That song does include Go to Hell, as Michael Portantier reminded me. But I did specify that she said the line, not that she sang it, which Martin didn't. My heart belongs to daddy. Besides, Martin didn't have the starring role in Leave It to Me. Sophie Tucker did. And Sophie Tucker, it's shit I know to think that she'd be billed below. (laughs) Mary, Mary M. All right. New question. It's a comedy that requires 14 actors. But for its 1986 revival, 26 performers took curtain calls. Why? What's the comedy? Hmm. If you know the answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, of course, I've been living guys and dolls, as, I, as I've mentioned. <laughs> yes, <you have. laughs> so, but it, 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 as if I don't get enough of it at rehearsal, I've also been listening to various recordings and watching the movie on video. And um, our music this week is from two, I would say, of the lesser known recordings of guys and dolls. The opener is the title song from the 1976 uh, uh, Broadway yeah. revival, which featured an all-black cast, uh, including uh, Robert Guillaume and Ken Page and lots of other fabulous people. And um, the closer is really kind of interesting because uh, when the film of Guys and Dolls came to be made, Frank Sinatra apparently wanted to play Sky Masterson, who's the one who has the the better songs uh, as compared to the role of Nathan Detroit. But uh, because Marlon Brando (laughs) also uh, wanted to play Sky Masterson and was a much bigger star at the time, uh, Brando... uh, Brando did play Sky Masterson and Sinatra wound up as playing Nathan. But, um, you know, in order to uh, make up for it, some years later, uh, Frank Sinatra basically produced uh, for his reprise label a recording of Guys and Dolls, uh, songs from Guys and Dolls, which was part of this uh, reprise musical theater repertory uh, thing that they did. They also did uh, Finian's Rainbow Mm -hmm. and uh, Kiss Me Kate, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, So this is from that recording. And this is Frank Sinatra's version of a, of a, uh, uh, well, his his version of "Luck Be a Lady" in a in a in a very different arrangement than what is actually heard in the show, but I think uh, we'll all agree that it works well in in this style as well. Yeah. yeah. All right, that wraps up for today. On behalf of Michael Portantier, who set it off to a probe, <laughs> and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks for thanks so much for listening to Broadway Videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. See how nice a dame you can be. I know the way you treated other guys you've been with. Luck be a lady with me. A lady doesn't leave her escort